welcome Nexus Church family online to our series in the book of Mark that's self-titled. In the series, we're exploring the life of Jesus and applying it to our personal lives. If you have more questions or if you would like to get a hold of us, go to nexuschurchmn.com. You can find all the information on there as well as emailing nexuschurchmn at gmail.com. You can check us out on Facebook, but we'd love to connect with you and help you to connect to Jesus. Enjoy today's message. Welcome back, Nexus Church family, to another message in our series, The Book of Mark where we're examining the life of Jesus and applying some basic, simple truths to our life. Last time we took a look at some interesting pointed statements Jesus made to the religious elite and examined really where we may have self-deception. Not something that we really want to talk about, right? But really what brought these religious elite to a place where they were, where they looked so good on the outside. They had it all together. They had the knowledge. They had the, the dress. They had the appearance of what should have been a very distinct, holy life to God. And yet, in all reality, they lived a very self-centered, fleshly life that took advantage of others instead of loved others and was a light to what it was be like Jesus, to be like God himself. And so this week we're going to examine kind of a, 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 I wouldn't call it necessarily a turn of events, but really we are setting our eyes to the prize, to the cross. And as we turn our eyes to Jesus and the cross and what that means for us today to live underneath that blessing, that promise of eternal life through Jesus' life on earth, we have this one very small passage that seems extremely out of place, and in all reality, for what we have in the book of Mark, it kind of was. But it was the time where Jesus saw a poor widow give in the offering. And so we're going to examine what it was that brought Mark, and another uh, gospel writer brings this passage up as well, but what it was that made them write this extremely out-of-place passage. Why was it so important? Because chronologically, it fit in to the life of Jesus and where he was going in that process to the cross. It was part of his life, and so it fit in, but why was it that out of all the stories that Mark could have brought to light from the life of Jesus, why was it that he did this one? Well, generosity was the key, and I believe Jesus, not only in this passage, but throughout the New Testament, really points us to the need of being generous, that out of a life of appreciation for what he has done for us, we give back all that we have because everything we are is a gift. Everything we have is a gift from him to us. So let's get into this passage and let's examine generosity. So this is Mark 
chapter 12, verse 41 through 44. Three brief verses. Sitting across from the temple treasury, maybe you want to call it the offering box in today's world, he watched how the crowd dropped money into the treasury. Many rich people were putting in large sums. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two tiny coins worth very little, minimum. Summoning his disciples, he said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others, for they all gave out of their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. She gave everything, right? But before we tackle her, Mark distinctly highlights the fact that the religious elite, those who took advantage of the poor widows, by the way, in case you forgot from last week, they were out taking advantage, devouring their houses. But yet, they gave. They gave out of the surplus, right? And so, this is important that Mark highlights this, that, that he highlights the fact that they gave enormous amount because it proves that in the first place, Jesus didn't reject their generosity. He didn't scoff at them. He didn't make fun of them. He didn't highlight how little they truly gave. No, he simply stated, look how much they gave. Look, they gave, right? It's, it's important. But yet he also didn't celebrate it. At least, not like he did the widow, that's for sure. We just know that the religious elite gave. They gave what was expected, right? The poor widow gave all she had. And so the question that immediately came into my mind from this passage was, what is generosity, right? According to the dictionary, we use words to define it with plentiful or large or kind, that all defines generosity. In short, you could say it is giving more than it's expected. Right? And so Jesus uses this woman to give us as an object lesson almost of what it looks like to be extremely generous. Like she gave everything. That's extreme generosity. Whereas these men these religious elite, these ones that looked like they had it all together, who knew it all, who followed the law, they gave what they were supposed to. They gave what we would call the bare minimum. They gave what they had to. Which got me wondering, am I like the religious elite who give the bare minimum? Or am I more like the poor widow who gave all she had? Right, we have two, I wouldn't necessarily call the religious elite extremes, but they were giving enough to fulfill the law. The woman gave everything she possibly could. So we have the extremes, if you will. Which one am I more like? 
Now, first, before we get into the details of what is generosity according to the New Testament, I wanted to highlight some of the research that I found. Now, this is a little dated. This goes back to 2017 and, and all of the findings that they had about giving in 2017. So this is a 2018 report, now already four years old. But according to nonprofit stores, they reported that an average American gives about 2% of their income. Now, this wouldn't necessarily be offering to a church or maybe to some nonprofit. It could be anything. This is what they reportedly give every year. Typical American. Whereas the average Christian gives about 2.5% of their income. So Christians give only about a half a percent more of their income per year to nonprofits as a whole. They also reported that about 10 to 25 percent of a normal congregation gives 10 percent. And so out of a whole congregation, everybody who calls themselves a part of a particular church, about 10 to 25 percent of those who call a particular church their home, actually give 10%, which highlights the fact that a lot don't give any, right? Because that's an average. So the question is, do you know what you give? So I think we all think we give a lot, but do we really know what we give, whether it's to the church or to some nonprofit? What is it that you give to, and how much do you give? Do you know? Is it important to you? Why? Why not? Now today I'm not here to make anyone walk away feeling defeated. Right? In a, in a setting like a church, it, it's, it's easy to have people who attend who are all over the place with financial instability. There's so many factors that can play into why a family can't give generously at this particular point in their life. So I'm not here to make you feel already more horrible than what you already do because you want to give, but you have all these restraints, right? And I'm also not here to set a specific level of what generosity looks like. I've always been personally under the assumption that 10% is a great foundation to start from. Like, that is just a, a really good level to base generosity from. It's a good goal to have. Why? Because it is semi a biblical foundation that, that is based off of Leviticus 27.30 where we read one-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to Him as holy. Right, that's exactly what the religious elites did. Go back to Matthew chapter 23. Now, there's a lot of condemning that Jesus does to the religious elite. But what does he highlight? He highlights the fact that they give. That they give according to this command. They give 10% of their produce, the crops of their land. They give. Now again... He wasn't setting it up as generosity. He was doing what they were required to do. And so that is a good base 
to go from. But as this passage highlights and as others we will read in just a moment point towards is that, that 10% is, is not a standard to go off of. God wants all. He wants all of our life. He wants us to be willing to give everything if he so called us to. And that's what Jesus is looking for. And so let's first jump to first or second Corinthians chapter 9. And we're going to begin there. This is a great passage to begin with because this is kind of Paul, he's really getting at a lot. If you want to read this whole section, go from chapter 8 all the way through chapter 9. And Paul has a very good teaching on generosity in this whole thing. And, and really what he's doing is he's writing to the church of Corinth and encouraging them in this situation because they had committed to give a certain amount to the needy, to those who were, who were trying to proclaim God's word and to spread it around the whole area that they were reaching to those who were at that time lost from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so and Paul was writing to them and saying, don't forget to fulfill your requirement that you committed to. And then in verse 6 of 1 Corinthians, or should say 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul highlights some really important things that I really feel like are important for us to begin with today. So verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 9 says, the point is this, right? He's like getting down to it. He's said all these things already in chapter 8 and in the first five verses in chapter 9. The point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now, the one who provides seed for the sower, it's referring to God, and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So I just want to stop there for a moment and process this a little bit. Two important things Paul highlights. The first is this. Generosity is not based off of pressure or emotions. Paul uses in this passage that we should not give reluctantly or out of compulsion right? It's not based off of our feelings. And so often people give because they're moved to give. Paul warns that we aren't to give that way. We, we shouldn't give because somebody gets up and proclaims this moving passage about how a person's life was changed. Now, that's not saying that we shouldn't give to needs, but we shouldn't give without first thinking, processing, allowing ourselves to know what what should we really give to? What does God want us to give to? Not, not somebody else and not our emotions. But what is God telling us? We need to be intentional, I think is a very important word. He uses that we should ha have this deciding in our hearts, a decision 
intentionality, processing, and doing it after we know that what we're giving to is, is what God would want us to give to, then we would give joyously. Knowing what we've given, knowing what we've given from, what we're bringing in, what we're sending out, like, there's something to be said about a budget. Because when you know what you have, you know it's coming in, you know it's going out, you know what you're giving out of a sacrificial heart, giving to God because of what he's given to you, there is a joy that comes knowing that you're giving, not expecting to receive back. Giving with a joyous heart. I love that. Generosity is an intentional decision to joyously give back to God what is his. And then when we give with this joyous heart with open hands giving back to God there is a a beautiful promise right what does Paul say at the beginning of his passage he says the person who sows sparingly will reap sparingly but here it is the person who sows generously will reap generously we will not reap massive amounts of goods on this earth that's not what he's talking about he's talking about earthly not earthly things, but heavenly things. Not that we're trying to buy our way into heaven, but that we have this relationship with God that gives joyously to Him, knowing that our reward is bringing more people into heaven with us, right? And when we give, we're expecting that what we give will be used for kingdom purposes so that people will come to know who Jesus is. That's why we give. Whether it's Maybe a, a well in Africa, you know, one of those famous things that we want to give to, or the children in the orphanage. Like, why do we support those things? Well, we know that in order for them to understand the gospel, they need to have their basic needs met. Because if you have an empty belly and somebody tells you about the goodness of God, you're not going to hear it if you're starving to death. Like, we fill their physical needs so that they can understand who God is and come to accept Him and believe in Him. We use earthly things to proclaim the gospel message. And so when we give generously, we will receive a generous reward of knowing we're bringing people to the kingdom of heaven with us. It's a beautiful thing. Now, now Jesus put it this way in Luke 6.38, Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Why does God give generously? So we can continue to do good works. When he pours out his favor upon us and we use those gifts to give to others, it begins the cycle of God giving to us because he can trust us. Right? He knows that when he gives to us, we will use it for good works. We won't hoard it for ourselves, making sure that we have all of our needs. But not that our needs are, are not important. We'll read that in just a moment. But he knows that we'll, we'll take care of the gifts and the finances that he gives us. We'll use it for good works. One quick little passage I want to read to you. Now, this is a little longer, but I will shorten it up just a little bit and you can read for yourself this is from matthew chapter 25 this is a parable that jesus uses so it's a story to proclaim a truth it's kind of a harsh story 
And it's about a man who leaves his, his farm into good hands. He gives talents or money to certain people. And he expects them to take care of his finances. And so listen to how this transpires. After a long time, this is Matthew 25, 19. The master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. The master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Right? So the first two give were back to him in abundance of what he gave them. They were faithful. They took care of it. And they even multiplied it. They added to what he gave. They were faithful in a small thing and produced more works. Then the man who received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown, gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, have what's yours. His master replied to him, You evil, lazy servant, if you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers, and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. So take the talent from him and give it to the ones who has ten talents. For everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have more than enough, right? And he goes on and he criticizes him and condemns him, right? Take away from him. He hasn't been faithful. He hasn't used what I've given him. Now, that's kind of a harsh story, and I know that for us today, we take that a little differently than what they took it back then. But the point Jesus was making was very simple. He has given us a massive gift financially, you live in America, you are in the top 1% of the wealth in this world. You have been given so much. And God is looking for us to be faithful with it, to produce good with it. Now I realize the cost of living here is drastically more, and if you were to even it out, it probably wouldn't be as drastic as the top 1%, but the reality is we have way more than what we truly need. Are we being faithful? Are we working and doing things with our finances and with the talents, the gifts, the abilities he's given us to do good around us and around the world? God is asking for us to do good works, to be faithful so that we can do greater works. And as we continue to invest in the kingdom of God, we will receive rewards in the kingdom to come. Listen to how Paul put it in 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is to his protege, the guy who was going to kind of take over for him when he was all done on this earth. He said, Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God. Listen, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and willing to share. Good with good works, right? Plentiful, generous with the wealth we've been giving. And in doing so, here's our promise, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age 
so they may take hold of what is truly life. I can't say this any more clear today. Generosity is giving what God has already given us. Everything we have has been given from God. Everything. He doesn't put a, an amount of how much we are to give him, but he asks us to be generous so that we can find true life here on earth and those treasures of knowing that when we get to heaven, what we've done with our resources, what we've done with our time, produced fruit in the kingdom of God, treasures in the kingdom of God. So my question for you today is, what does generosity look like for you? Where are you at? What is God asking you to be generous in? Will you be obedient? For, for some this morning, it means that you just need to get a hold of your finances and know really what you're bringing in and, and what you're spending on. To know what it means to be generous, you have to know what you have. It's really hard to be generous when you're not sure where your money is. So take a step back. I'm not asking you to create a massive budget, but just know Every month, this is how much money I'm bringing in, and this is what my bank account says I'm spending. Get a hold of that so that you can, when you have, have God speak to you about what you are to give, you can give generously, knowing out of this cheerful heart that you're giving what you actually have. You're not giving and not knowing, will I have enough? Like, I don't want you to be stingy and only give God a sliver. I want you to be generous. When did you get to that point where you can stand up and say, I do give 10%. I do give my efforts towards the kingdom. Because here's the thing. Notice what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, 17, right at the beginning. It says, teach those who are rich in this world. Again, that's you, that's me. We are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in your money. We don't, we don't want to hold on tightly to what we've been given. This is not ours. Because it is, as he says, so unreliable. There, our trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Again, God has given us everything we need. He is asking us to have open hands and allow him to have it back, whatever that might be. And I realize that's scary. I realize that's hard. I realize that might make you feel like you're incredibly unqualified for this thing called being a Christian. But I'm asking you today, will you take one step? You just take one step and give. Find a place where you can give. And whatever generosity looks like for you today, will you take that step? take that step and then take the next step after that get a hold of your finances know what you have and trust Jesus as he tells you what to give Father I pray for every person listening today that you would speak to them clearly on what their next step is Father <laughs> there is so much that you promise us 
that when we give, you will give back and, and creates this cycle of you giving and we give and you give and we give and that just builds. And just like that, that parable of the talents, when we give, you give back in greater proportion. And as you promised in Luke 6, 38, you would, you would give in a way that would press together and overflow so much so that we couldn't even grasp what we have. Father, those promises are for us today. I pray that you would lay that on every person's heart and that they would truly trust you in your promises. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today, Nexus Church family, and we'll see you again.